Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we get ready to pray. I just wonder this morning if you have a need, maybe like Elaine shared, maybe the need for your heart to beat again. Maybe something going on in your life that uh, nobody knows but you and the Lord. If you've got a need this morning and you'd be humble and transparent enough just to stand up before the Lord, I want to pray for you today. You just stand and say, I've got a, I've got a need. I need the Lord to speak to me today. Father, I thank you for these friends in this place, the privilege that we have to tell you that we love you, and that it is a sweet sound in your ear, puts a smile on your face for us as your children to bless our Heavenly Father. I pray for these friends today that are standing, Lord, you know their hearts, you know their needs, for sure better than I do, and maybe better than everybody else, for sure. God, I pray that you would... Speak to them that you'd meet their need today according to your riches in Christ Jesus as your word promises. For those that need peace, we pray that you'd bring them peace. For those that need comfort, I pray you'd bring them comfort. Maybe some need wisdom. Maybe some need perseverance. Some maybe need to be reminded of your love. Would you speak to their hearts today and to each of us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, it is great to see you this morning. If you've got your Bible, if you would, open up to Mark chapter 11 as we continue our study through the book of Mark. And uh, while you're turning there, let me say, uh, folks, it is great to see you. Uh, It's great to see uh, almost every chair being filled. Uh, You don't know what joy that places in my heart because, number one, I need you. I actually need you more than you need me, just just want you to know. Uh, And uh, for the staff, especially over these last 14, 15 months as we've been praying that one day we would all start getting back together, I know I see a lot of people uh, that haven't been in a while. And Rodney and Gene, it was great to see your faces come through the building this morning. Uh, So many folks uh, coming back, and, uh, and we understand your hesitancy in the past months, but we're trying to uh, continue to move forward and be safe, and I think we have great things happening in the, in the life of our church. I know it's been a busy weekend for some of you. I know we've celebrated some birthdays. Uh, I can officially say, and I'm proud to say it today, no more teenagers at the Eason House. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We survive. We survive. Let's just stop right there and give praise to God. All right, yes. Uh, Will turned 20 yesterday. I know our, our very own uh, Corey, our ministry intern, had a birthday. Is it today? Today's his birthday. And uh, also was ordained to the ministry this past week. Uh, I know we had a big baby shower for somebody who's about to be a grandma and a grandpa. And uh, we're excited about that. So what a, what a great weekend it's, it's, it has been. So let's look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. I know in your small groups in a little while, you're going to look at the beginning of this chapter where we talk about the triumphal entry. And just so you know, over the next few weeks, let's see, today's February 28th. No, is it February 28th? Yeah, it is. Okay. March. Tomorrow is March. What happened? 
Okay, tomorrow's March. Over the next few Sundays, the next four, uh, we will be walking down the road to Easter. So as we've been studying through Mark, we're getting to that point where the disciples are starting to put two and two together. And they are coming up with four instead of five. They're starting to understand a little bit more about who this person is they've been following named Jesus. And uh, next week we'll be looking at uh, Mark chapter 12 and then the next week 13. And then we'll start actually going through the Passion Week, the days of the week, as we get towards Easter. Which, by the way, in preparation for Easter, you'll be hearing about this. We are praying about doing some different things because it's been a different... 14 months or so that we've been in. We've been thinking about having maybe a a Maundy Thursday service, a Good Friday service, uh, and then, of course, Easter Sunday. Not expecting you to show up for all those, uh, but we'll be inviting our community uh, to come as we get closer and closer to Easter. This morning, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that talks about the cleansing of the temple. And uh, we will have some questions on the screen, and folks will we'll get to those eventually, but there's some other things I want to share with you along the way. This is the story of Jesus coming into the temple. We're going to pick up at verse 15 of chapter 11, all right? Verse 15, chapter 11, here we go. It says, that They came to Jerusalem. Again, this is Jesus and the disciples. And he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to cast out those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they began speaking how to destroy him. Important. For all the multitude was astonished at his teaching. And whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. I love this story because it teaches us a lot of things. Some people mistakenly read this story, and the conclusion that they come to is that we shouldn't be selling anything in the sanctuary. I remember being a part of a church one time, and we had a singer, Joey, come sing, and and he had his cassette tapes. I know that some of you don't even know what that is. But uh, his CDs, okay, his digital download cards. He had that at his table with his music on there. And there were a couple people in the church that really riled up about that. Well, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says not supposed to be selling anything in the church. That's not what is happening in this story. It's not at all what was happening. People were there, get the, get the picture, in cooperation with the priest to basically take advantage of the common folk, if you will. They were there to force them to purchase uh, approved animals that we're going to see here in just a second at some inflated prices in order to enter, enter into temple worship. It's a lot like when I used to travel a lot, and I still do occasionally, and I would uh, get a rental car and uh, when I was flying back home, I would go to the airport. And as I was headed back to the airport, I was like, oh, I need to stop and get gasoline. It was amazing that the price of gas near the airport was 25, 35, 40 cents more than about two or three miles away from the airport. It's kind of what was happening here. They were taking advantage of a situation 
More than, more than price gouging, though. They were doing a couple things to really rip people off. So let's see what Jesus is talking about here. Let's see what got him so upset. Because the first one is this. It says that Jesus cast them out. And here we go. The first one, he overturned the tables of the money changers. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Every year, this is ripoff number one, by the way. Every year... Every Jewish male had to pay a temple tax, okay? And most of the time, that temple tax was equivalent to a couple days' pay. And every Jew had to pay that every year, okay? It, didn't, it may not seem like much to you, but the standards day's wages was really about half of what they had to pay. So they had to pay almost twice their day's wage to get into the temple to be able to worship. Not only that, but the, the tax that they paid had to be the, the church currency, had to be the temple currency. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to have your money exchanged. When we go to the Dominican Republic, if we want to buy things, they take dollars down there, a lot of them, but sometimes we'll exchange it for pesos. Uh, if we're flying into Malawi, Africa, which our trip has been postponed to August, you fly in, as soon as you get off the plane, there's a little booth right there. And Pastor Mark will tell us, don't exchange your money right there in the airport at the little booth. Because they will rip you off. That's, that's uh, Chichewa for, they're going to take your money, all right? Which is the language there, Chichewa. The, the currency there is Quacha. So if you want to get Quacha, he says, wait till you get to the airport. And I'll take you somewhere where the exchange rate is fair. Because they will rip you off. What was happening here at the temple was they knew... That Greeks and Romans and Syrians and Egyptians and the Phoenicians, these people who were coming in to worship, did not have the kind of currency they needed. So they set up these money exchangers right there at the temple to take advantage of the common people, to rip them off. Here's something else they did. The second thing in that verse, another thing they did to rip them off, it said, not only did Jesus overturn the tables of the money changers, but the seats of those who were selling doves. Interesting. You may or may not know this, some of you do, that many times they would take a sacrificial animal, and this sacrificial animal had to be an animal without blemish. They would use doves because doves could be bought cheaply enough outside. But here's the catch. They had temple inspectors who would inspect these doves to make sure they were without blemish. And if they uh, decided, and they were, of course, employed by the king, right? If they decided that your dove did not meet specifications or standards, then they would say, well, no, you have to buy one of our doves. And if you had to buy one of the doves inside, they were 25 times higher inside. So it was... Sheer imposition because they knew a lot of these people had been traveling to the temple for temple worship who came in there and exchanged their currency and now they had to take, uh, have the sacrificial animal did not also have 25 times the rate. So they had to have a special currency. They had to have an unblemished animal. I, I, I thought, you know, maybe we need to come up with our cross, crossroads coin. I'm not sure whose face would we put on that. Where, where's Heath? Maybe we would have different kinds. And some people outside of the church, that's what they think. They think sometimes that we have things set up 
at the, at the doors figuratively of the church to keep people in and out. That's what a lot of lost people think. Well, if I go to church, I have to pay to go to church. Your tithes and offerings, by the way, that you give to the church, that you give to God, are given out of your love for God. There's no mandate at Crossroads Baptist Church. Now, I know, I think it was maybe a year after I was here, I suggested, and I still think this is a great idea, and I would suggest it again, that between you and God, each year, between you and God, you have a partnership agreement, a covenant agreement, and you let God know what you're going to give to support His work and His ministry. I think the Bible teaches that. I think the Bible also teaches, this is not the sermon for this, but I think sometimes we nitpick about tithes and offerings, and we say, well, we'll just do the tenth, which the Bible tells us is the minimum. Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Why would I ask God, what, God, what's the minimum I can give to you? That question reveals a lot of my heart. So they were rip, being ripped off in a number of ways. They were being ripped off financially. They were being ripped off when it came to the sacrificial animals. And they were coming, trying to worship. But they had been set up. Now, I don't know if you have thought about or you've seen pictures. Do we, do we have the picture of the temple? I, kind of last minute. Let's look at this. This is the temple that we're talking about. Sometimes you may think it's a little small church kind of image that you see when you're riding around in Greer or Simpsonville or Malden. This was huge. So the court of the Gentiles, where the common folk were, is this big, almost like outer mall. Now, you didn't dare, you weren't allowed as a, as a Gentile into the inner courts. So if you can picture that whole place full of animals and tables and money changers, I mean, it was like, it was like going out to the Greenville Mall. It was probably chaos. There were people everywhere. And here Jesus is, as he comes into the temple, he's seeing people... And he knows they're taking advantage of people who have come to worship. So they set up shop in these outer courts with the intent to take advantage of other people. Poor, humble pilgrims who are being swindled is what moved Jesus to wrath. Made him very angry. I don't know about you, I don't watch much television anymore, but I think one of the things, church family, that we have going against us is that a lot of people, a lot of generations, have made up their mind on what they think about the church on a lot of different places, but one of those places is media and maybe even television preachers. And I was thinking about driving in this morning, some of the things that you can still see if you want to flip and find a religious channel and flip through and you see preachers saying, if you'll send in your seed of blah, 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 I'll blow over this holy water vial that they probably went to the kitchen sink and filled up. And you can send me this money and God will heal you. And that is the same exact kind of thing that was happening. That's a modern day version of what was happening right here. Is people were being uh, taken advantage of. And the temple, the purpose of the temple which was, as Jesus goes on to say, was to be a place of prayer and a house of prayer, the purpose of the temple was being changed, was not being fulfilled. And it made the Lord angry. And it, you know, it's, it is a, a sorry and shameful condition when God's house becomes a place where unrepentant and active sinners can associate and hide. I'm glad this church is not one of those. I've 
I've served in a couple of churches like that. Going through all the motions of worship, side deals, literally side deals being made, money being changed, things going on with important leadership in the church that would stand behind the pulpit and things behind closed doors. That goes on. Jesus is purging this corruption that had become commonplace. We know because if you read through John's account in John's gospel, in John chapter 2, I think in John chapter 8, chapter 10, this is the second time that Jesus has gotten really upset in the temple. The first time he got so upset, he had a, a, a whip and he went through whipping people, which is why I believe in whipping your kids. It's biblical, it's biblical. He went through whip, whipping people, sending them out. He was angry. He was purging them. They, they had made the house of God a, 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 a farce. So why was Jesus mad? I want to suggest three things to you, and then in a minute we're going to ask some questions this morning. Here's the first reason I think Jesus was mad we can learn from this text. He was mad because people were being exploited. You know, one of the things that I love about this current generation is perhaps more than any other generation on the planet, they are sensitive to the exploitation of people. People are exploited in the third world, but people are exploited in Greer and Greenville and Simpsonville, Fountain Inn, you know, they're, they're exploited right here. They're exploited in a lot of different ways. Taken advantage of. I, I think about, as I read this this week, what communities around our church what groups of people around our church have been exploited and taken advantage of that we as the church should stand up and say, no more, not on our watch. Because this angered Jesus that these people were being exploited. Poor, humble people coming to give their recognition and their honor at the temple, and they were turned into <laughs> people who were being ripped off. I don't know if you've ever... Had that happen, if you've ever spent money on something, or you got a bill, or you bought something, and you, know, you call to try to get it straightened out, and you get one of those things that says, press one if your box was ripped. Press two if your box was crushed. Press three if your box had the wrong address. And it doesn't matter which option you push, nothing's happening. Nobody's going to answer. You're not ever going to get to a live person, and you just get, is this, y'all are looking at me like this has never happened to you. Is this not ever happened to you? I, I, you know, I get so, uh, I, I want to just take my phone and you just get so excited. Uh, because you're being exploited. And the hard thing about it is there's nothing that you can do about it. And the same thing was true of these folks. There was nothing they could do about it. What did they do? They had to pay what they had to pay. If the dove was not sufficient that they brought, they had to do whatever in order to be able to worship so Jesus is mad. I think he's mad because people are being exploited. I think he's also very upset because the holy place had become an embarrassment. You know, one of the things that my heart breaks about is there are a lot of, this is not one, praise the Lord. Generally speaking, there are a lot of holy places, a lot of churches, a lot of gatherings, a lot of sanctuaries in our country that are an embarrassment. And we wonder why. 
People outside don't want to come inside. Because we've turned the sanctuary, generally speaking, and I know that this today is only a sanctuary because the Spirit of God lives in you, and you are the church, and that's why this is a sanctuary right now. As soon as we all leave, this is just a room. But sanctuaries have been an embarrassment, and people come in expecting to see prayer and the Spirit of God that Joey was talking about and the preaching of God's Word, and they go in to this holy place and it's watered-down theology, or it's preaching out of the newspaper, or it's songs that make you feel good but say nothing about the glory and the majesty of God, and we wonder why God is embarrassed. I think it's made Jesus really upset, as, as we see, because this holy place had become an embarrassment. But then he says something very interesting, and I've got to be honest, I've read this passage a lot of times, and it's just... Until the last couple weeks did I see this word. He says this, he started to teach them and say to them, quoting from them in Jeremiah, he said, it is, not, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. I think he's not only saying, my house is called a house of prayer, this holy place has become an embarrassment, but this place is a house of prayer for all, A-double-L, all people, and you have excluded some people. You've tried to make it harder for them to be able to enter into the temple. There's this wall that we just showed you the picture of, this wall that kept the Gentiles outside in the outer court because they were less than. Last Sunday night, we talked about a group of people in our culture that has, maybe they've been exploited. I don't know. A homosexual group of people, the LGBTQ. Maybe they're not a part of the church because we've excluded them. We've said the grace of God is not strong enough or sufficient for them. Don't miss it. I'm not condoning behavior that goes against what God teaches. But what if you were the group that was excluded? I mean, how would you feel? Next Sunday, no people with any gray hair. Oh my gosh, I can't come. All right, next Sunday, nobody with glasses. Oh! Next Sunday, only bald people. Amen, amen, I'm here to come. I mean, what if you were the group that was excluded? Again, I'm not condoning behavior. But Jesus is saying, this is a house of prayer for all the nations. I think he was upset because the Gentiles had been pushed to the outer court. By the way, you and I are Gentiles, just, just so you know. And a wall kept them out. This focus of worship and prayer had been replaced by something else. You know, one of the great things about this story, the cleansing of the temple, is we know that Jesus is ultimately coming to pay the ultimate sacrifice. There will be no, no more need for doves. There will be no more need for any animals that are sacrificed. Maybe he's reminding us that when all the sacrifices have been abolished and gone and no longer needed, the temple of the church should still remain a place of prayer. It's interesting that these religious people had taken their worldly ideas 
I mean, they were, they were, they're just, these are the religious people. They had taken their worldly ideas and started to flesh out ripping people off and taking advantage of people while in the midst of doing their devotional duty. Scary. The priests, they had profaned and abused their power. And Jesus called them. He basically caught them and called them out on it. And they didn't like it. Our world is, is changing. I, I wonder... I'm debating whether to tell you a story. I, I, I wonder how much happens in our world like what we see in this passage. I remember a ministry opportunity that was in this area that I was a part of and sitting down and having a conversation with some of the leaders, kind of like in this story, that were in charge and some of the things that I suggested that we do that would have really made an impact for ministry would have circumvented the need for these individuals. And because it was going to cost them financially if this happened, even though it might have reached a lot of people, boy, the claws and the fangs came out. It's interesting because what Jesus is doing here, don't miss this, what Jesus is doing is messing with the pocketbook of the religious people. And when you start messing with somebody's pocketbook, right, ladies? I mean, that's what he's doing. He's saying, you guys are taking advantage. He calls them out in front of everybody. He doesn't just go over and whisper in their ear, I know what you're doing, although Jesus could have done that. He did that on other occasions where he kind of one-on-one. For some reason, maybe this was because this was at least the second time we know of that this has happened. He went in like a bull in a china shop. And started turning over tables and getting angry. How do you think it made them feel? We know how it made them feel because the Bible tells us in verse 18. When they heard what Jesus said about this being a house of prayer. They began seeking how to destroy him. And that's not just his reputation. Although that was a part of it. To destroy and kill and take him out. Because you're messing with my income. Is what they thought. They didn't like it. So what are some takeaways? I've just got four questions for us this morning to think about as we wrap up. That I, again, as you know, I write these down for me. But four questions. Here's the first one. How might we be profaning the sanctuary today? How might I be profaning the sanctuary today? This is a house of prayer. Many times, if I'm honest, and you know I am, when I come in here, my brain, especially before the worship, before the music, is somewhere else, thinking about other things. And thankfully, through the music and testimonies and solos, I start to focus my brain and to pay attention to God. And not just sit and go through the religious motions of service. Do I do that all the time? No, I wish I did. There's sometimes I probably profane this sanctuary that is now a sanctuary because we're here. And this sanctuary 
Because I'm not paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me. It's easy to do. It's easy to look at those religious people, put the spotlight on them and throw rocks, and not ask myself the question, how am I profaning the sanctuary? You know, one of the things that I think my mom and dad told us, and we told our kids, and they'll tell their kids, hopefully, you prepare for worship on Sunday, on Saturday. If you stay out till 2 a.m. on Saturday or Sunday, or do whatever you do on the weekend, that you come in on Sunday and you have very little energy or attention to give to God, might it be, I'm just asking, I don't know, might it be that you're profaning the sanctuary? Because Jesus is upset here because the, the, the temple is being used for everything but what the main purpose was, and that is to focus on God and to be a house of prayer. Second question I wrote down is, okay, how are we doing? How am I doing in making the house of the Lord a house of prayer? Guys, as one of your pastors, I want to confess to you, this is probably the weakest area of my spiritual life. I don't know if it's because of the personality God gave me, which is type A, you know, run 100 miles an hour. That's good to a certain extent. But it crosses a line when I think I can do everything in my strength and I have very little need for God. It crosses a line when I think of prayer as a last resort instead of a first response. And so today, as one of your pastors, I would like to publicly call our church to a time of prayer. I'm not just talking about on Sunday morning. We may open the church up during the week, a couple mornings a week, or at night, open this room up. Or put together a prayer vigil, 24-hour prayer vigil. Folks, when I see what God's doing around the world, and I see explosions of revival and people's hearts being changed, it's not because of great music, it ain't because of great preaching... 99.99% of the time it's because people have been on their hands and knees in front of God crying out for Him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. I don't know if you ever noticed this or not. We like to talk about the unconditional love of God and God's love is unconditional. But that statement in God's word is a conditional statement. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land. Could it be the only thing God is waiting for to move is for you and I to move to prayer? I don't know. That's what God kind of spoke to my heart this week. Jack, how are you doing at making the house of the Lord a house of prayer? You know, growing up, we do, we do this on Wednesday. Pastor Jim leads our Wednesday Bible study, and, and we pray. I remember on, when I was a teenager growing up, we used to have a thing called prayer meeting. And that's all that it was supposed to be was prayer, prayer meeting. And we would go around the room, 
and I'm not making light of this, we would go around the room and people would share their prayer needs and their prayer requests, and we would take probably 40 minutes, pray for your mother-in-law, I'm going to have surgery, I'm sick, Barbara Jean needs this, Aunt Bessie needs this. We'd go around the room, we'd get all those prayer requests, Jack needs a new car, no, no, not that. We'd go around, we'd get all the prayer requests. And after 30, 35, 40 minutes of taking prayer requests, somebody would say, let's pray. Some of you know what happened. I kid you not. Within two to three minutes, we were done. We'd take requests for 35 or 40 minutes, then we'd pray for two. Now, I know God knows everything. He knows before we even ask. He knows. But sometimes, could it be, God is waiting on me to bow my heart and to bow my knee positionally. To humble myself and pray and seek his face. Here's the third question. Came to my mind. Jesus knows all things. He knew what was happening in the minds of these religious people, the priests. What does he know about me? What's he know about you that makes us uncomfortable? Here's the next one. Am I more concerned with the profaning of the building than I am myself? I've said to us before as a church family, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to turn our room here where we worship into Bojangles. I like Bojangles, by the way, okay? There's a logo at the bottom of the screen for those of you live streaming. If you'll click that, we get 10% of your... No, I'm just kidding, I like it, but I don't want to see our room where we worship trashed. But again, this room is only a holy place because the Spirit of the Lord is here, and the Spirit of the Lord is here because as a child of God, you're here. But sometimes, if I'm honest, I get more concerned about the atmosphere and the look, and I like the chairs that's, you know, my backside likes these chairs because uh, I need it a little bit. I like it. But if I get more concerned with this, quote-unquote, sanctuary than this sanctuary. I used to be more concerned about people bringing things into this room than I am about the things that I put in here. Or in here. Or in here. There's things that we can see with our eyes, things that we can hear with our ears. That do much more profaning the sanctuary than anything we could physically bring in this room. So what's Jesus saying to you today? What's he saying to me today? Does he figuratively need to come in your heart and turn over a couple of tables and say, you need to get this out. This doesn't belong in here. You have lowered the purpose of your life and my calling on your life by the tables you've set up in your sanctuary. Those tables that you have set up, and maybe I have set up, are preventing me from being about the purpose that God's called me to. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, I I pray right now, Lord Jesus, 
that you would speak to our hearts. I got to be honest, I can always use a, a cleansing. Most of us, Lord, take a physical bath every day. Could it be that we need to start taking a spiritual bath every day and allow you to cleanse us? Maybe to turn over some tables in our hearts. God, I sense the power of your Holy Spirit just in, not just this place, but really again because it's working in the hearts and the lives of these friends in this room. Lord, would you search my heart today? there's anything in my heart that would prevent your sanctuary from being a house of prayer. God, I pray that you put your finger on it right now. I pray that prayer for these friends in this room. Lord, I know that you desire to work in our lives and the lives of our church. God, not just to work in the life of our church. That's not the end game. That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to transform the lives of people in this community where you've placed us. In our state, in our world. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you'd be, uh, allow us to be honest with you. While you're praying there in your seat, in just a minute, we're going to stand. And Joey is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And as he does... I don't know how God may have spoken to you today, but as last week, we still have some chairs along the walls and up here in the front and over on the side by the offices that you can use as an altar if you just need to go sit and pray. If you want to kneel and pray, you can do that. Maybe you'd say this morning to me, Jack, you know what? I need to get back to the power of prayer and the purpose of prayer. And again, today I'm asking our church, calling our church to a serious time of prayer between now and Easter that we would just seriously seek after Jesus through prayer. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts. Help us to be obedient and respond as you lead today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask Keith to come join me this morning. If you need to find a chair to silently pray, you feel free to do that. If you want to talk to one of our staff this morning, we're here for you. Let's stand together and sing this song of invitation.